Blog Talk Radio. Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with John Harlow as we break down what was the STP 500 at Martinsville Speedway. Who surprised us and who didn't and who really, really ran good. Uh, we also got, we're also going to preview the Duck Commander 500. Kind of a, a short week, uh, Saturday night race. They practiced and practiced first practice for Spring Cup Series today. Two practices for the Xfinity Series. We'll talk about those. And that also, uh, ISC came out. They said they are uh, have... Ticket sales are down for ISC tracks. They have pointed to the reason of star power as the reason why the ticket sales are down. We'll talk about whether that is a legit excuse or not. Kevin Harvick's tweet today confirmed that he will be moving will be moving to Ford with Stuart Haas Racing in 2017. So we'll talk about that, what that means. I can stop all the speculation. Also, Brian Vickers, uh, his plans are unsure after 2017 after excuse me after Texas Motor Speedway for 2016 what should the team do versus what will the team do also cautions are down across the board in the Cup series we discussed that and a couple of new couple of news articles out of the NASCAR Xfinity series Greg Golding gets a ride with Rash Fenway Caleb Holman and Chad Fitzgerald moves to a team that was formerly owned by former driver Eric McClure so that should be interesting to watch. And we take your phone calls at 917-889-8280. We'll have to take in, John, but we'll, we'll start with the Martinsville Speedway STP 500. Kyle Busch led 352 of the race's 500 laps en route to his 35th career victory. His first one at Martinsville, he swept the weekend, Camping World Truck Series race and the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series race. Your thoughts on Kyle Busch's day at Martinsville? I thought... <clears throat> Kyle Busch's weekend at Martinsville. I mean, when we talked last week and we were talking about the truck series, I said if Kyle Busch is driving a truck, Kyle Busch is going to win. And it would only help him get better on Sunday because Martinsville is a momentum hit your marks racetrack. You've got to hit the right spot. You've got to have the right drive off, which means hugging the curb without bumping the curb, getting the right drive off. Bush did it Saturday in the truck. He came out Sunday and did it again, and I think if you go back, he's the first person ever to walk out of Martinsville with two clocks in one weekend. So, I mean, it was a great weekend for Kyle Busch. Um, and the other thing, he uh, I listened to him talking about, or at least a quote from him about driving the truck was partly to see how his team was stacking up because he's got two youngsters down there. Right. And he said it wound up being a whole – he went a whole different direction than they did, but they used some of that going to Sunday because he knew the kind of drive-off he needed. And he races on those off weeks to make Sunday better. And a lot of people gripe and moan and complain about it, but the proof's in the pudding. The kid wins. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. if you want to join the show. You're right, John, and it's funny because we talk about the Truck Series race as well. There were, the two guys who were in the Truck Series races were two guys – who didn't have a lot of success, two cup guys who ran a truck series race, I should say, were two guys who didn't have a lot of success at Martinsville in general until this weekend. Kyle Larson also went out and finished third. Yeah, he had some problems where, uh, you know, he was able to, he got a little bit lucky there at the end where he was able to take tires and move his way through the field. But still, he put his strength, finished third. He also, I think, benefited from the NASCAR Camper Wheel Truck Series race. Like you said, it's a momentum track, get into the groove, hit your marks. Uh, they ran the same tire they run on, they ran on Sunday in the Truck Series race on Saturday. So all that really helped figure out what they were going to do. And I tell you, I just think, you know, the guys who were rookies in this race, Chase Elliott, we saw Chase Elliott struggle. Ryan Blaney, uh, they had a they had a pit over the wall too soon penalty. That's why he got back in 19th, but he finished 19th. Chase Elliott was 20th. A lot of the rookies in this race, Brian Scott hadn't run Martinsville in five years really, really struggled, and you have to wonder if in the future, with how much it benefited Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson, if one of these, if some of these cup owners aren't going to put their young kids in the truck just to get their feel back from Martinsville. I think because 
Martinsville has such a rhythm to it. I mean, you look, Kyle Busch picks Denny Hamlin's brain every time they get close to Martinsville because Denny has a room full of clocks. Denny gets around Martinsville really well. And Kyle Busch put him on a mile-and-a-half track, put him on a two-mile track, put him where there's momentum and there's more on-throttle time, and he's phenomenal. Martinsville's different because there's more off-throttle time at Martinsville than there is flooring it down, I mean, throwing the gas down to the floor. So it's a whole different style of racing, and the more Kyle Busch runs, the more he gets accustomed to it. I mean, I think by the time he gets done, you add up all three series, and it's sort of like the way Petty did it all in Cup, but they were running three, four nights a week whenever he was winning, when he got his 200 races together. Kyle Busch could end up with more than 200 NASCAR-sanctioned wins by the time he retires. Absolutely. He's only 30, I think 31 years old, 32 years old. He can absolutely do it. He's over halfway there right now. So, uh, you know, with the, with the Xfinity, I think he's got something up there in 60 in Xfinity. So, um, yeah, he can absolutely do that. And uh, I don't think it's the same thing as what Petty did. You know, I think Petty, obviously Petty did it with all cup race, cup guys and, and the best equipment against going against the best people at that time, the best competition at that time. So, uh, but still, it's pretty remarkable he could win 200 races. Second place finisher was A.J. Allmendinger. Then it was Kyle Larson, Austin Dillon, and Brad Keselowski, your top five. I'll tell you, you know, a lot of people get on A.J. He's an, Indy, he's an IndyCar background. He runs pretty good on the mile-and-a-half tracks. Um, but, you know, we've seen him run Martinsville in the short tracks. I think when he was with Richard Petty, he almost won at Bristol one time. Uh, but he goes out to Martinsville, tough track, finishes the runner-up position. A nice job for A.J. Allmendinger and that JTD daughter racing team right now. Uh, a very impressive run for him on Sunday. And Dinger was coming at the end. I mean, if they had another 10, 15 laps, Dinger would have probably been able to put pressure on Kyle Busch toward the end. He had a very fast car toward the end of the end of the race. They were putting it all together as they finished. I mean, he kept going and climbing. He It wasn't like, where'd he come from? He was running top five, top ten most of the day. And then the last run, he just had it dialed up. If he had a few more laps, he might have had a shot at Bush. But it was a great run for A.J. Allmendinger. Great run for Austin Dillon. Great run for Brian Vickers in the 14 car. And Stewart ran well at Martinsville last year. That's one of the things that Martinsville sort of an outlier because you can run there, run well there, and suck the rest of the season like Tony did last year. But I think Vickers getting a top 10 in the 14 car puts momentum in that team. It gives Mike Bogowitz a shot. I mean, it gives him something to hang his hat on saying, okay, we've done something good. Let's see how we do now. And you look at the speed charts at Texas from today, Vickers is running top 10, so there's speed in the car. Menard mm-hmm. finishes well. Danica was up there in the top 10 until she got pushed out toward the end and wound up in the top. But she still wound up in the top 20, and for Danica, that's almost a win because – She's usually just the marketing queen and sitting back in 25th through 30th. But like you said, some of the rookies, some of the youngsters didn't fare well. You had Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, um, Stenhouse, who's run well most of the year. He's back there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trevor Bain's back there again. I mean, the youngsters did not fare well. There were some outliers that came in, like the – I mean, Larson came out of nowhere, and for him, Martinsville has always been kryptonite. But Keselowski finishes top five, and he had to probably sit up in his seat to look over the hood because of how dented in that thing was. Menard runs well, and Menard hasn't shown a whole lot this year. Biffle, top 12, and he's been the stink of the show for Roush Fenway most of the year. He came up and had a good finish. I mean, it's great to see the different names up there at Martinsville but it's not something you can hang your hat on and say, we're going to go forward because we have this momentum because Texas is a whole different world. It is, and it, it's a whole different racetrack. There's nothing like Martinsville at all. But I'll tell you, I'm impressed with what we saw from A.J. Allmendinger and, and the guys you mentioned. You know, Brad Keselowski, uh, he ran in the back of somebody, probably had one of the better cars there all day long and finished in the fifth spot. Carl Edwards was out to lunch when the, first, when the race first started. He was about 25th spot, a lap down, worked his way up, got up to sixth. You mentioned Brian Vickers. I think Vickers, and not to get off topic here, but 
let's venture off into Vickers a little bit. We were going to discuss this later on in the show, but let's do it right now. Brian Vickers, in his seventh spot, I thought he was a top five, top ten car all day long, ran really well. John, what the heck does Brian Vickers have to do to prove that he is belongs in this number 14 car? I mean, full-time for, for the rest of the year. I mean, listen, I like Ty Dillon. Ty Dillon, I think, can be a, a very good driver for years to come, but that's not that's going to be at Stuart Haas Racing's expense when he's over there in RCR uh, run, running and, and trying to make win races and, and win championships over there. That's not going to be at Stuart Haas Racing, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I would put Brian Vickers in this car and run the rest of the way. He prove, He's proven... He can run it up in the top five, top ten all day, all day long. He did it at Martinsville. I think he's going to run good here. And I would like to see a driver in this seat, like you mentioned, get some momentum, get some uh, you know, familiarity with the crew chief, Mike Bugaravich. I would like to see that. And, and right now, the, the flip-flop between him and Ty Dillon and Vickers came out this week, or last week and said he's not sure of his plans past Texas. I just don't know how that could be. I know Bass Pro Shops is the sponsor of that car, and they want Ty Dillon in that car, but I just find that mind-boggling, in my opinion. Well, I mean, one of the things, dollars a difference. And Ty Dillon and Richard Childress have a long, I mean, Childress has a long relation with Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops. goes back longer than Stewart's does because Childress introduced Stewart to Johnny Morris. So, I mean, I look at it, and Bass Pro Shops has pulled a lot of their sponsorship from Tony and shifted it to Martin Truex this year. I think part of it where Vickers doesn't know what he's going to do past Texas is because they don't know what Tony's going to be able to do. I think Stewart's been laying quietly. His Twitter feed has been very quiet. I think he's closer than anybody realizes. I think you may see Tony Stewart in that car in May, if not late April, I think he's making a great recovery. I mean, you see him walking around, he's doing fine. He was driving a, I mean, the doctor said you can drive your streetcar, and he's already doing it three weeks earlier. I think Tony Stewart is going to be in the 14 car sooner rather than later. I think one of the things Vickers is looking at, it's the 100th anniversary of the Indy 500. He's going to have a chance because he's running decent in the Cup Series. He's had a couple mistakes where he got caught up into stuff, but he's run well in that 14 car. Ty Dillon mm-hmm. ran adequate in the 14 car. Wasn't doing anything special, but he wasn't doing anything terrible. It was a top 20 car. It wasn't like he was sitting back in 30th three laps down like they were last year with Smoke and Chad Johnson together. And the other thing that Vickers brought up, and they brought it up in the race broadcast this week, this is the first time they've had the same person in a car two weeks in a row. And it improved the communications between Vickers and his crew chief. And Vickers is running again this week in Texas, so that'll be three weeks in a row they've had the same driver in the seat of the 14. I think if it goes well, depending on who's on the car at Bristol, it may end up being Vickers' continue. I mean, it depends on what Johnny Morris says. And mm-hmm. if Tony goes to Johnny Morris and says, hey, we've got something going here, the momentum's kicking in, we want to keep him in the car, I mean, it may happen. I mean, if you look, Tax Act is on the 14 car this week. Tax Act is not a sponsor of the 14 car. This is filling up races that Bass Pro Shops pulled and put in Truex's lap. There's a shot Vickers stays in this car a while. I only think they said Bass Pro Shops was supposed to be on Stewart's car three or four races this year, and and, uh, Ty Dillon's already been in twice. So it may – I mean, they ran the um, Arnold Palmer – charity the last two weeks because Vickers brought that to the table. You never know. It may end up continuing that way. You want to discuss anything Martinsville, Texas, anything else we talked about, touch on, you're welcome to call into the show and join us. Join me and John here on Talking in Circles. If you're listening, like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter as well, at Talking in Circles. Uh, you know, going down the board you did before, and I just I, what I love about Martinsville is there was just so many comers and goers uh, this weekend, and, and really the one guy who had a tough weekend, John, but salvaged a 14th place run, got in a little, got into it a little bit with David Reagan on the racetrack. But you know, I want to touch on something here. T- two drivers I want to touch on: Dale Jr. and then his teammate Casey Kane. But let me touch on something with with David Reagan and the Dale Earnhardt Jr. incident first. You know, a lot of people are getting on David Reagan. I understand. You know, it stinks that. Um, Reagan got into Junior and, and Junior basically cost Junior from winning that race by having that blown tire. But 
what Junior and that 88 team have to start doing better if they want to seriously contend for a championship is they have to qualify better. There is no excuse whatsoever in the book. I don't care what the excuse is. Uh, there is no excuse to be qualifying back to where they, they've been qualifying. And I know Reagan had a really good run in qualifying this weekend, but still it's a BK racing car. The car wasn't handling perfectly for Reagan back there, and, if, and he hit the curb and bounced up off the curb and into the 88 car. Listen, that's going to happen when you're back there. But when you're up front and the cars are handling good, you, it's a lot less likely for that to happen. So Junior and that team really have to qualify better if they want to be a championship contender, serious championship contender. And they got a lot of time to fix this because I think you're going to make this chase. But still, you know, they have to qualify better and they have to figure out what's going on in qualifying if they, if they don't want this stuff to continue to happen. I thought it was an impressive run for Junior. Uh, you're right. Junior needs to qualify better. He's sitting back there 26th, 27th at the starting grid. He spent almost 300 laps a lap down plus because of that tire and somehow worked his way back to the lead lap. After all that time, he finally got the lucky dog and salvaged a 14th place finish. I don't think Junior was going to win the race, but he could have gotten up there and been somewhat competitive. But, I mean, it's it's Martinsville. It's small. Everybody's bumping and banging off each other. Like you said, Keselowski smashed someone in the rear end, and he wound up fighting to a fifth-place finish. It's just one of those things. You're on a short track. You hit the curb, which is a – I mean, you're really thinking about a six-inch guess. Because most of the time, you and they – on Fox showed a lap of Gordon going around – Martinsville before the race, where he was as close to the curb as you could get without hitting it. It's sort of like Junior running the wall whenever he runs up high. You're running as close as you can. You make a small slip. You're hitting the wall and bouncing off of it. Reagan made a slight slip, bounced off the curb and hit Junior, and it wound up costing him. But if you're back there, that's why. That's where the problem starts. He shouldn't have been back there to begin with. The quality of equipment that Dale Jr.'s running and the quality of equipment that David Reagan's running are two, it's night and day. It'd be like me and you out there, I'll give you a Ferrari and I'll take a Ford Pinto and Jr.'s back there in the Ferrari beside me in the Pinto and then they're going to look at me and say, hey, I took Jr. out. He shouldn't have been back there. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's part of it. And another driver who, I you know, to me it's just, you have to qualify better. And if, you know, God forbid this happened to him in October in the chase where they qualified 21st and then had a blown tire and it really really cost him to finish 14th in this chase, uh, that's something they got to really figure out. But another driver who I think, John, if we don't see anything, an improvement from this team here, by the time we get to the 600 in, in, in May, we're going to see a crew chief change or some kind of major change on him. That's Casey Kane. Qualifies second. Looks like he's going to be had a solid weekend, was good in the practice charts, and it looked like somebody dropped an anchor in that five car and he just fell right to the back early on in that run and, 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 and stayed back there. And we talked about David Reagan. David Reagan outran Casey Kane this weekend, uh, finishing in the 21st position. Casey Kane was 22nd. You know, it's, it, this is something that's happened really since the beginning of last year, or middle of last year, where we've seen this five team really, really struggle. Um, and here they are continuing the beginning of 2016 off to a really slow start. Something's got to give over there, John, or they're going to make a crew chief change there. And they have a phenomenal crew chief sitting over there in the uh, vehicular development department in Darien Grubb. There's a great crew chief sitting there without a box to sit on. I mean, it can be done pretty easy, and Keith Rodden hasn't shown anything since he went back to Hendrick Motorsports. He was decent with McMurray, and they clicked. You thought he would have clicked with Kane because he was the car chief and in the Kenny Francis, and he'd been with Kane forever. And it's not like Casey Kane forgot how to drive a car because they put him on dirt with the best in Pennsylvania the weekend they were off, and he wound up winning at Lincoln Speedway. And that's not a tough, it's not an easy place to run, and it's not an easy place to win. So he can drive a car. It's just that, I mean, as soon as the green flag dropped, the boat anchor came out. And part of it is the way Martinsville is. That outside lane you cannot get started in. And that's why people were griping and complaining about Kenseth and Bush the whole time, because whoever was leading would take the outside lane, 
the other guy would take the inside lane, and they let the leader in, and everybody in the outside lane kept drifting back. So, I mean, it's yep. part of the Martinsville racing that Kane went back like a, like he was driving a dump truck to begin with, but he never recovered from it. You're right. It was uh, a very interesting – it's just, to me, it, it's something that I think we just got to keep an eye on because it's it's, it's noticeably, noticeably been a tough weekend. And, and Hendrick Motorsports at Martinsville – wasn't great to begin with. I mean, Dale, we mentioned Dale Jr. I was impressed by the way he came through the field, fell lap down, was able to work his way up. And I think, you know, they kind of got bit at the end by that caution, which you can't predict a caution. A lot of guys were getting on great guys there towards the end of that race for taking tires, and I think that was the right call. I mean, it worked out well for Kyle Larson. Dale you know, Jr. was just not in the right position. And same thing with Max Kenseth. He got beat on there. But um, that that five team, and Hendrick Moore Sports, again, I, I'll mention that. You know, we, we talk about Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was great at Martinsville. He wasn't great this weekend. He was a ninth he was about a, a sixth, seventh place start, ended up ninth. So uh it is a noticeably maybe a little bit different here. The Hendrick Motorsports isn't nearly as good as Joe Gibbs racing, so they have to step up their program as well. So maybe we'll see a little bit more internal change there going up forward here in twenty sixteen. Okay, um it's funny John because you know when you think about the, the cup race at Martinsville, you know, a lot of people were saying there wasn't a lot a lot of empty seats, and this weekend they come out and they say that ticket sales for ISC, International Speedway Corporation, which is owns Daytona, Martinsville, um, California Speedway, Phoenix International Raceway, a lot of tracks on a circuit, but those are the tracks we went to already in 2016. They've said that ticket sales are down, John, and an interesting, interesting uh, theory came by from John Saunders, who is uh, not not the ESPN guy, but um, about why ticket sales are down. Basically, he's come out and said that he feels like star power is the reason why they're down. They've lost Tony Stewart, obviously, like you know, for the back during Jeff Gordon's retirement year, and he's pointing at star power. Do you think that has anything to do with that, Sean? Do you think star power is hurting the fact of selling tickets for NASCAR here in 2016? I think John Saunders listened to you and me and uh... – Branded on Talking in Circles about four or five weeks ago, whenever we were talking about the ratings being down, because that's what one of the things that the three of us said was no Stewart, no Gordon, and the same two, three people are leading all the time. I mean, you look at the lap leaders, they had a stat out that Harvick and Kyle Busch are one, two, and they're a lap apart, and then nobody's close. I mean, they both led over 400 laps this year. We've only run six races. Yeah. There aren't that many laps. So, I mean, it's Harvick or Kyle Busch up front, and then you get the Kenseth, the Johnsons. I mean, Johnson's won twice, so he's got that under his belt. So you pretty much have the same people up front, but you're missing the Stewart. You're missing the Gordon. You're missing the people that people really follow. I mean, you find a Tony Stewart fan – and they, whenever he left Joe Gibbs, they had a closet full of orange and black 20 stuff, and then they got the red and black Office Depot 14 and the Mobile One and the uh, Old Spice. So they stayed with Tony Stewart just because they're Smoke fans, Jeff Gordon fans. From the minute Wonder Boy came up to the minute he retired, if you were a Jeff Gordon fan, you never left. And those people were sort of wondering, who do I follow? It's sort of like yeah, no. I felt like whenever whenever Davy Allison got killed, I was a Davy Allison fan growing up, and then Davy got killed in the helicopter crash. I was still sort of in limbo for a couple of years. I mean, I followed the 28 car for a while, and then Ernie Ernie Irvin got in the wreck, and then he was out for a long time. I just never bought Dale Jarrett in the 28, and then Stewart came up. So I went to Stewart, and I said, I liked him whenever he drove sprint cars on Thursday Night Thunder. I really like Stewart. I'm going to stick with him, and I've stuck with Stewart until now, and I'm still there until he retires next year. I think the star power is an issue. I think John Saunders should be appreciated. We should thank John Saunders for listening to Talking in Circles and listening to us and realizing that's part of the reason ratings are down and attendance is down. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because you know I agree with you to an extent that, that you know losing Jeff Gordon and losing Tony Stewart has, has had an impact on the ticket sales, but, you know, there's a lot to this, and, and to me, John, um, when I look at, at what we got here, part of this problem is, and it's something we've touched on a lot on this show, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I, Brandon, my brother Brandon brought this up 
off air to me a couple of weeks ago. He might have even brought it up before he left um, the show. And that is simple. It's the simple fact that these guys in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, the, the slogan of, quote, names are made here, end quote, is the furthest thing from the truth. They're not making any names because Kyle Busch is going out and winning 100, you know, all the races in the Xfinity Series. And these drivers who have no opportunity to sell themselves to a, to a sponsor or sell themselves to a fan base more like more than that, you know, because they're not winning races. Where if you know Chase Elliott, yeah, Chase Elliott had a really good Xfinity Series career. He only won three races. If Chase Elliott had won ten, fifteen races in two years, you sit there and you go, no, it's, that's the kid. That kid wins a ton of races. That's the one I want to watch. Very similar to what we saw with Dale Earnhardt Jr. When Dale Earnhardt Jr. was in the Xfinity Series, and a lot of fans grabbed onto him, and he's now the most popular driver in NASCAR. Obviously, there's some circumstances that affected that, but still, he was a very popular driver coming from the NASCAR Xfinity Series back then, the Bush Series, because Junior had the opportunity to win more races back then, because we didn't have the companion events. And I think it's another aspect of why we shouldn't run so many companion events in the Xfinity Series, is because let's put these guys big names. Chris Bush is the Xfinity Series champion last year. He's now in a small part-time, or really full-time, but a small team in the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series that barely gets to the racetrack every week, per se, and they're not nearly as, as big as Hendrick Motorsports or big as Team Penske and stuff like that. Ryan Blaney couldn't even get an Xfinity Series ride full-time last year because they were cup guys in there. It's a disaster. Let these guys build their name in the Xfinity Series, and then fans can grasp onto them. I think that's part of it, John. I really do. I think part of the reason you see Chase Elliott having the following that he is, A, he's Bill Elliott's son, and B, he drove for Dale Jr. in the Xfinity Series for two years right. to give them an idea of who this kid is. Hmm. You look at some of the other kids right. who are coming up, there is talent there. Brandon McReynolds is great. Bubba Wallace could be great. But they're sitting there. And they're making a name for themselves by finishing 7th or 8th and saying, hey, look at us, we finished 7th or 8th behind six cup drivers. There right. hasn't been an Xfinity regular win a race this season, I think back to the last seven or eight races last year. What the right. heck is this Xfinity chase going to be? Yeah, it's crazy, I John. I finished 15th, so I win the race. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, and look at a guy like Regan Smith even. Regan Smith had a very nice Xfinity Series career. A lot of people said, look, at when Regan gets into a good good equipment, he can win some races. You know what, though? Regan Smith's not, you know, he moves to the Cup Series, and Tommy Baldwin's a building team, a, a team that's still building, a team that's still trying to get to where Hendrick Motorsports is, and that's where he is right now. And, it, and it, it, you have to sit there and go, well, he ran really good in, in the Xfinity Series for two or three years. What did that do for him? All it did was move him from front row furniture racing, which, obviously moved on to bigger and better things with their alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing, to Tommy Baldwin Racing. So it's kind of like, well, you know, what did that do for him? Not much. And Elliot Sadler's another guy who, um, you know, runs an Xfinity Series who has decent success and just can't get to the Cup Series because he can't beat these big-time Cup guys with the big-time Cup engineers, with the big-time, you know, with the more track time and whatever else you want to, advantage you want to throw at it. And, and again, I just think if we go to less, less companion events, I think it will help these these young kids, 20 years old, 22 years old, get a fan following. That's the most important thing. Well, I think the companion races are okay. I think the companion races kind of make the weekend fulfilled for the track that makes them even more money because, I mean, not like ISC's losing money off this lower ticket price, I mean, lower ticket sales, but having cup teams in the series is what's bad. I think if you put Kyle Busch in the same equipment that Carl Long's going to drive this week instead of Joe Gibbs racing equipment, it's like almost like the Red Sox. I mean, you look at Major League Baseball. They have their minor leagues. But it's not like the Red Sox are putting their best coaching staff. They're keeping their best coaching staff up there, and they're bringing their minor leagues up. The... Xfinity Series and the Truck Series is supposed to be the minor leagues. If I if it was me, I'd love to see the Cup drivers out of it altogether. 
I understand some of the TV and some of the track packages saying, hey, we need these guys to sell tickets or we need these guys for what little ratings Xfinity and Truck are getting. But I also say for the health of the sport, you're going to end up hurting it more than you're going to help it because if you think about it anymore, what do we get on most years? One rookie? And yeah. there's a lot of drivers right now in their 40s. You've got Junior, you've got Biffle, you've got Kenseth up there. You've Boyer's close to 40. You've Harvick's in his 40s. You've got a lot of guys. Johnson's in his 40s. You got a lot of guys who are going to go away in the next three to five years. You're right. And there isn't a bench. No, and and nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. And I think to me the scary part, and I, we can dive on this all day. And I just want to put it, something before I make my next point here. Um, I just think it's hard to police the owners from being there. I think they're in there. I don't think they're getting out anytime soon. I think it's really hard to police that. But another interesting point to all this, as far as uh, what's going on with the ticket sales and ISC and, and all that. And it was made by Dan Hauser, who was the vice president at ISC. And he said, and I, this is a direct quote, and I can't agree with this more. We may have been, as an industry, so successful in focusing on the drama of the chase that we have sucked a little of the sizzle out of the beginning of the season. That's one thing that the whole industry, NASCAR, is very focused on. We'll continue, continue to do everything we can, end quote. Now, John, there's a loyal listener to this show. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a loyal listener to this show who we talk to a lot, and he's one of our really close friends, and he's a great guy who has said this before, and he's, I think this is one of his best points, where he says, back in the 1990s and back before the chase, races used to be an event. Where you went to Pocono and you won Pocono, you, it was an event. Now it is more of a, well, what do you do? You can't get to the, you're going to get to the chase, but that, the big thing is the chase. They've put so much emphasis on this chase; it's almost made the regular season pointless. And I think that's what Hauser, which I don't know if that's what he's touching on or not, but it's almost made this regular season. It, it's it's taken a lot of luster out of it to where every race meant something back in the day, John. It really did. Every race meant something, and now it just seems like these races don't mean as much until you get to the chase, the final ten races, which. I think hurts the ticket sales for sure. I mean, one of the things that you can flat out look at the way the chase does things. Look at the season of Jimmy Johnson every year. Jimmy Johnson wins early, and then he's 10th to 15th for a good stretch of the summer, and then come chase, look out. Yep. All heck's breaking loose. Jimmy Johnson has got those 10 races set up, ready to go. He had two wins coming into Martinsville. Do you think he was worried about winning Martinsville? It would have been nice. He would have liked another grandfather clock. I mean, Martinsville's very special to Hendrick Motorsports because that's where they lost Rick's brother and Rick's son. But they have a chase race there in the fall. Do you think Chad wasn't experimenting this weekend? Because it didn't matter. He's got two wins. He's in the chase. Yep, absolutely correct, John. And I think that's uh, a lot of th- a lot of people agree with that. And when you have 16 cars in it, you know, if you're a very good team, you're going to make this chase. So, um, I don't know. I just think you're taking a, like you like when I when I went uh, went go to a race before the chase, it was I was seeing the best drivers, the best teams at their best on every given weekend. It didn't matter what weekend I was going to go to. If I went to Pocono, if I went to Dover. I was going to see the best drivers and the best teams, not trying to do different things, but they were trying to go out there and they were just trying to win. Now, like we said, they can go out there and, and same thing with this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. They got a chase race in Texas coming up. They can go out there and they can try a few things for the chase down there in October, especially if you're Jimmy Johnson, if you're Kyle Busch, if you're the drivers that are in the chase already, you definitely can do something. Denny Hamlin can do something. You know, Denny Hamlin's had a really, really tough season past Daytona but it doesn't matter because he won the Daytona 500. So as an industry, it's funny that he pointed that out. I wanted to touch on that, that he said that. Uh, Dan Hauser, a great article on NBC Sports, that he said that that's what he thinks is the the drama of the chase might be taking a little bit of the sizzle out of the beginning of the season. I can't agree more because, again, I think these fans look at the regular season and say, who cares? You know, a lot of people look at NASCAR racing and say, well, if I turn on the last 20 laps, I didn't miss much anyway. Well, if I turn on the last 10 races – 
they all start from the same point spots anyway. And that's the truth, and that's and that's a shame. And that's something that we didn't do 20 years ago that we have now. And I don't think it's going to change because I think, I think this chase format is here to stay. So they might be in a little bit of a, a, a hole here. It'll be interesting to see how they can dig their way out here, John. I think also one of the things when you're talking about, they tried to make the chase their big signature event. So in the fall, they're competing against football. Right now, they're competing against nothing. Early season baseball, people are like, okay, let's see what my team has. But they're not crazy about it yet. Last year, they were competing against the NCAA Elite Eight and lost. This year, they were competing against nothing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a big golf tournament. I mean, the Masters is this weekend. They were competing against the Houston Open. That was the only other sport. I mean, there was opening day of baseball. There was some of that. But, it, I mean, it's still baseball, to me, is a regional sport. You're going to follow your team, or if you're a diehard baseball fan, you're going to fall in. But most of the time, the diehard NASCAR fans are going to stick to it. The big problem that NASCAR is running into is sort of like with the Red Sox. There are When the Red Sox became good and won the World Series, the pink hats came out, where yep. Fenway became an event. NASCAR is trying to promote the pink hats and keep them interested, and we'll talk about it later when it comes to the cautions, and I think that's part of the thing that's upsetting the pink hats and hurting ticket sales and hurting ratings. You're right. 917-889-8280, if you want to join the show, I think you brought up a lot of good points there, John. But we have a phone call. What's your name? Where are you calling from, bud? Ryan, calling from Floyd, Virginia. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for this call again. Uh, anything you want to touch on here today? We, we touched on here. Uh, how about ISC? You were at Martinsville this weekend. Uh, what do you think of the racing there? And, and do you agree that um, maybe some of the beginning of the season is, is loses and sizzle because of the chase? I do totally agree with that. You know, being uh, on a season ticket holder at several of the racetracks, I have multiple races, and, and you know, a lot of them are in, you know, beginning of the season in the spring and then in the fall. I would totally agree that ever since the chase came out that the you know the spring races or the first race, however you want to look at it, has always been not necessarily a lackluster event, but not nearly as exciting as the fall race. And taking my own personal experience from being in Martinsville this past weekend, I mean that 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 race could have been could have been a whole different race had there been more cautions. And I heard y'all touch on cautions a couple of times. You know, I was telling that to a coworker today. He was like, "I wish dominated that race," and it, which he did. However. If there would have been multiple cautions at the end of that race, it would have been a whole different race. I don't think he would have won. Those guys on new tires were coming through the field pretty fast and just ran out of time. It would have been a yeah. whole new race had there been multiple cautions. And we just didn't have those multiple cautions. But I would say I liked the racing in that race really well. There was passing. There was there was a lot of good battles all over all, all over the track. I mean, I really enjoyed the race from that standpoint. But from the fact that we didn't have that many cautions and the fact that one guy dominated most of the race, you know, that's one thing that, that's turning off a lot of a lot of viewers. Yeah, and John touched on it before how many laps were led with Kyle Busch and, and Matt Ken- or excuse me, Kevin Harvick this year. But, I, you know, I, Ryan, I'm not a believer at all that we need ca- multiple cautions, a ton of cautions to make the racing great. I'm just not a believer in that. I think if, if we let these races run green, I think it makes it even better. Um, but... You know, it, it is interesting that these guys have gone out here early. Harvick and Bush have gone out here and dominated these first six races here where they've led a lot – by dominating, I mean leading a lot of the laps. Um, so, you know, who knows? But, uh, you know, I just, I'm a big believer that he needs to open up the rule book, and I think part of the reason why um, the NASCAR's panicking here, John, is they thought with this low downforce package, a lot of people would be coming and be thrilled with this low downforce package, and they see the numbers and the ratings and the uh, ticket sales pick up, and they haven't seen that. I think that makes them panic a little bit here in 2016. I think the racing, though, is so much better because of the low downforce package. It's just that they went off the reservation too far the past couple years, (coughs) and they're making the drivers happy again, and they're getting better racing out of it, but people have found other things to do. I mean, I love I love the racing in Martinsville. It's good. I'm a, I love short track racing. The thing with Martinsville, though, it's follow the leader most of the time unless you punt somebody out of the way. 
that's one of the things, and it's 500 laps. There, I was listening to uh, Trade and Paint a little bit today. There was one guy who called in, and he said, I'm a 15 and a 5 guy when it comes to NASCAR. He says, I either watch the last 15 minutes or the last five minutes, depending on where they at, because I can catch up on the whole race that happened up until that time because TV will recap it, and then I see the end and I know what happened. And that's where it's getting to. I mean, people aren't devoting 500 laps worth of time like they used to. 9178898280, and a lot of people have come out and said they want to see shorter races. And I'm not one of those people either. Maybe I'm old school and set my ways where, you know, I think green flag racing and 500-mile races are fine. We just need to, to tune the product to get that interesting again. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's part of it. We need to tune this product to get that, that interesting again. But, Ryan, you know, you were at Martinsville. You said you had a great weekend there. Uh, what observation do you have that maybe the, the people on TV didn't see from this weekend at Martinsville? Uh, you said there was a lot of passing. Was there a lot more contact uh, for, for that, that you, than you expected? I know you've been to Martinsville probably in the past, but there was a lot more contact. Was there a lot more contact this weekend? There's about the same amount of contact that I normally see whenever I go there, but uh, that's the one thing you, uh, I heard uh, John mentioning about TV, though. When TVs do do recap, whether it's ESPN or, you know, Fox, NBC, or whether you go online to see it, they don't always show everything that happened. They show only the big things. You know, if one of the top guys wrecks or if there was a big wreck or, you know, motor failure or something like that, they show it. But they won't show the little minor contact that happened and drop the, and drop the you know, that guy back a couple of positions. I'm wondering, like, for example, you know, Danica got knocked out at some point during the race where she got knocked up in the high line on that last restart, and she fell all the way back. I don't know if they mentioned that on TV or not, but I haven't yeah. seen anybody mentioning it all week that, you know, that, that happened to her. And I'm like, well, you know, there was a ton of contact going on all around the race. There were several wrecks that should have happened, and I don't know if, if they showed that on TV or not, but just from my own personal experience of watching Martinsville and other races on TV, when they go back and do the recap, there's not, they, don't, they don't recap everything that they need to. They recap the big things but not the small things. And those small well, things, in my personal opinion, are more important, or just as or just as important as the big things. Because you know, if you got some of those drivers like Ricky Stenhouse, for example, he's been running top ten all day. Let's let's say, for example, then out of nowhere he has a bad pit stop and he finishes 18th. You know, the, the, the TV doesn't talk about that, and really, You're I'm right. pretty sure they could care less about that. But me being there in person, if I was there to watch, I'd be like, crap. He came out, you know, he came out 15th instead of uh, 9th where he was running, and I can look it up on Twitter and be like, oh, so he had a bad pit stop. But TV right. won't cover that. So, I mean, that's the kind of things that the recaps don't do. And that's the kind of things mm-hmm. that, you know, even the 15-minute fans need to know, too, because they're going to come back and be like, well, that driver was running top 10, but now he's back at 40. What happened? Well, I'm, I'm right. sure and they'll show it, but if it's a smaller driver, they won't show it. And that's something else that you, bothers people, too. You touch on that, a couple good points. I think TV does need to do a better job. And, and, you know, I always say MRN does a better job because they're at the track. They're they're a broadcasting for the fans at the racetrack. So when they see a car on pit road and the fans going to sit there and go, why is that car on pit road? MRN usually touches on it. Hey, you know, even if it's Cole Witt going in, he's pulling in behind the wall. You usually hear that. And you say, okay, yeah, he's done. But, you know, there's a couple of things this weekend. Ryan, or, uh, yeah, Ryan Blaney had a over-the-wall too soon. They didn't touch on that in TV this weekend. Greg Biffle, I heard him on the radio say he was having a brake issue all day. We didn't hear anything about that on the TV. And that's the stuff that they used to touch on back in, back in the day. And I think you're losing the the at hardcore race fans because of that reason. You're like, well, why did Biffle struggle? Why was Matt Kenseth back there? What happened to these guys? And then they got a lot of, of, of um, you know, ads to get to and all kinds of different stuff to get to on television. But I just think television could do a little bit better job here uh, in 2016 covering the race, John. I think one of the things you look at whenever, especially with the Fox coverage, no matter where they're at, they're going to follow Junior. And one of it is they have a sponsored segment of where Dale Jr. is in the race, sponsored by Nationwide. Nationwide. Yep. I mean, it's he could be running 35th, and they're going to do a 30-second spot on why Jr.'s in 35th, and that's why we knew how far he came up through the field, because whenever he went to the pits, we followed Jr. in there. But you don't fall – I mean, thankfully, I was whenever I was watching – during the race this weekend, I did see Danica get punted out of the top ten and get pushed up into the high line, and she couldn't get back down. But she was running good. And they and one of the things I think they're going out of their way to make sure of is they don't 
do the novelty that Danica is anymore because this is her fourth year. She should be running up there. If she's in the top 10, top 15, she should be talked about. I think part of the reason some of the ones you don't hear about whenever something happens with David Reagan, unless he gets, unless he hits junior, you don't really hear about him during the race because their sponsors aren't paying Fox for sponsorship during the race. I mean, they're looking at the who's paying the dollars for us to pay this billion dollar contract to NASCAR. Who's paying our bills? We'll take care of their car. I mean, you look at one of the things there was that uh, thing put out today, the amount of mentions. Who's been mentioned the most? They were making a big deal about that. Harvick, Kyle Busch, Jimmy Johnson are one, two, three. Why is yeah, that? I believe that. Harvick and Kyle Busch have led the most laps. Jimmy Johnson's won the most races. It's I, that simple. I, yep. And And it's funny. It's just to me. Uh, something that I've noticed here in the past that they used to do, even they used to even go through the field. Remember that? And they don't do that anymore. Uh, where they used to go, you know, take the first through 20th or first through 15th or first through 10th and give you their day and what, where they were. And they don't even do that anymore. So, uh, Ryan, anything else you want to contribute before I let you go here? Y'all want to talk about Kevin Harvick for a second? What do you want to say about Harvick? Well, I mean, I'm sure y'all seen that tweet as well that he said he's going to be with the four team for, mm-hmm. Well, at least till 2018, they say. So we, if right. we, you know, believe that, obviously, because, you know, there's still some of those skeptics out there, that, that that should, you know, shut everybody up saying, hey, he will drive a Ford next year. But, you know, yes. the same kind of situation happened with Tony Stewart back in 2008. He kept saying all year he wasn't going nowhere, and then all of a, all of a sudden he went to Stewart Haas. You know, he, formed, he helped form Stewart Haas. So there's yeah. still that chance that something could happen there, but... Really, I only bring it up because you know I, I just get, I get sick of seeing it. I really do. It's it pops up seems like once a week and sitting there like this is old news now. You know he will announce it whenever he announces it. You know just get over. It. But that's not what they're doing. They keep bringing it up every week. You're right. Well, one of the and things Ryan, that came out, and I'm looking at the NBC Sports article that uh, let's see who did uh, Daniel McFadden did for him that Harvick said to ESPN on the Chevy rumors, he said as far as he knew, he thought he signed an extension and has two more years on his contract. Right. And he yep. even said in Atlanta he hasn't looked or asked about his contract because probably Delana takes care of all that and says, here, sign it whenever it's time. The one thing that I've said all along, and I don't see Kevin Harvick leaving Stuart Haas Racing. And the reason being is Tony Stewart's Kevin Harvick's best friend. Tony Stewart got rid of one of his other really good friends to open that seat up for him because Tony Stewart and Ryan Newman are tight. I mean, Chrissy Newman designed his log cabin house in Indiana. Right. Tony Stewart is retiring. He has to have somebody to be the horse at Stewart Haas Racing. And whenever he brought Harvick in, and you listen to him talk in the off season, whenever they asked him about his retirement, he said he'd been thinking about it for a couple years before the sprint car accident, before the Kevin Ward incident. He'd been thinking about it because he got to the point where he wanted to make his other cars run better instead of being the selfish race car driver. Tony Stewart, the car owner, knows Stuart Haas needs a big dog to lead the parade. And since Kevin Harvick has come to Stuart Haas, he led more races in two two years and six months than he did in all those years at RCR. Kevin Harvick's the most mentioned driver in NASCAR right now. Why? Because he's got Rodney Childers and he's driving on a rail in that number four car. He's always up front. You're not going to go somewhere else, especially with Rodney Childers signed at Stuart Haas Racing through 2018. Why would you go to the five car if they bought? put Casey Kane out of the five car. Why would Harvick go to a car that right now is a 20th place car? When he came to Stuart Haas, that team was brand new, and they built it from scratch. But also, the groundwork was laid because Rodney Childers left Michael Waltrip in the middle of the season and built everything for the second half of the season. They had all new stuff. It's not like he was going to a team that has a foundation, has everything built, and struggles. Yeah, so I don't and, know why he would do such a thing. 
and even from Stuart Haas's aspect of this, let's say for fun, let's just say, you know, Kevin, it is uh, Casey Kane, the one who replaces Kevin Harvick at Stuart Haas Racing. And Harvick goes off and for whatever reason decides that he thinks he's better off at Hendrick Motorsports, which I agree with John. I don't think, and probably Ryan, I'm sure agrees with this. He's, I don't think he is better off in that five car Hendrick Motorsports. But let's just say he does. Casey Kane moves to that uh, four car. Think of the driver lineup at Stuart Haas Racing. You have Kurt Busch, Casey Kane, Clint Boyer, and Danica Patrick. I mean, talk about taking a hit. Kevin Harvick is the premier driver at that organization, and that is taking a big-time hit if you lose Kevin Harvick for Casey Kane. I know Casey Kane is a capable race car driver, but he hasn't proved that he can win the races or compete for championships the way Kevin Harvick has. So, again, I just think if Stuart Haas Racing thought they were going to lose Kevin Harvick by going to Ford, they wouldn't have done that. Ryan, thanks well, so also, much for you look at it, show. Kevin Harvick is the number one guy at Stuart Haas Racing. He will continue to be the number one guy at Stuart Haas Racing. He goes over to Hendrick. He might be two, probably three, because Junior's the most funded team. Johnson's got the long-time relationship with Lowe's and has six titles under his belt. He's going to get the third-best stuff over there. He goes over. He stays at Stuart. He's the lead dog. Ford's putting extra money in. Because they want to compete. They're tired of Chevy winning the Manufacturer's Trophy every year. They probably threw a boatload of money at Tony Stewart and Gene Haas, and Kevin Harvick is going to be the recipient of that. For sure. John, thank you so much. Or, John, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for, for calling the show, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Uh, Ryan from Virginia, he's a pretty regular caller on this show and he does adds a lot to this aspect but yeah and I'm glad he brought that up because that was our next point is Harvick tweeting saying he is coming to Ford with Stuart Haas and again I wasn't surprised by that I was you know I was stunned when they came out and said they were moving to Ford but I wasn't surprised Harvick was going to stay because when you think about it and you think about all everything that is that it just makes sense for him to stay there and everything that that's going to entail just makes sense for it um absolutely Kevin Harvick is a premier driver in this Spring Cup series he does a lot of great things uh, he is the number one driver there. There's just no way he doesn't leave there. Maybe in a couple of years, if he's unhappy with where he is, Stuart Haas, if it's a Ford move for some reason, they're building their own chassis, and they're not running really, not nearly running as good, and the contracts line up to where Casey Kane is out of his contract, Kevin Harvick's out of his contract at the same time, and things aren't going well, and down the road he might move to Hendrick Motorsports. I'm not going to rule that out for sure, but uh, I think as a, as a 2017 and 2018, he's definitely going to go to Ford, and he's came out and said that for sure. Um, John, another topic that we w- I want to touch on here real quick that we touched on was cautions. Cautions are down across the board. And actually, it was an article on the website that I contribute to sometimes, frontstretch.com. Uh, Tom Bowles does a great job there, and he was the one who wrote this article telling you just how much cautions are down here in the 2016 season. And it's quite, quite drastic, uh, it says, um, no sprint cup races more than had eight caution flags all season. 51 laps at Martinsville this weekend with a few for that track since 1996. Uh, the drop was impressive considering the years have been fairly consistent. And, you know, it's funny because he brings up this point on there as well, where Denny Hamlin lost control. We've seen a lot of guys lose it more, but we haven't seen a lot of um, DNFs this year. We haven't seen a lot of blown engines. We haven't seen a lot of blown tires from Goodyear. So, and also you got to remember, too, there are three less cars on a racetrack this season as well, where you might say, well, what does that mean? But it's not like there were, no disrespect, but it's not like they were winning cars that, that were taken out of the field this year. Those were cars who tend to have some issues, whether it's handling, whether it's blown engines, you know, whether it's too much on the air pressure or they blow a tire. So that's three less cars that are likely to have an issue. They're going to have an issue. So I think that's all contributed to decline, a 39% decline over the 2015 season so far through the first six races here in 2016. Your thoughts on the cautions being down, John? I think one of the things that Chocolate brought up on Trade and Paint today is dead on right. Back in the day, and I I laugh every time he says it, but back in the day, they were taking cars, regular parts off production cars, and trying to make them into racing parts that would last 500 miles at the speeds they're running. Now, 
there's nothing stock about the parts, let alone the car. I mean, they're creating their own stuff. The cars are almost bulletproof. How often do you see, I mean, other than Daytona and Talladega, how often do you see more than five cars out of the race anymore, especially with the three starting Parkers gone? You don't see that happening like you used to. You used to see cars blow engines. Cars would cut tires and hit the wall. Cars would break a gear. They would blow transmissions. They would break an axle. Now everything is, I mean, it's almost bulletproof. Where the car is built to go 1,000 miles, you're only asking it to go 500. So it's one, I mean, you see there's no fall off in the car. And that's one of the things that's causing the cautions. I think the other part is the fact that you're putting the driver back in the car, the drivers, even though it's tougher for them to drive, they're more on it. Mm -hmm. It just seems like the drivers are driving better, even though there's less there for them to hold on to. The car's built more loose. It's built to be out of control. And that's why these guys are the best in the world. They're showing they can hit the worse you make it, the better they drive. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I agree with the first part wholeheartedly with Chalkley. I think that's absolutely accurate. You know, it used to be 500-mile race state. If we'd have six, seven, eight, sometimes, you know, back in the 70s, 10 bore engines trying to make 500 miles. Now, now you got that. And the gear rule is another thing where we have a rule in there where NASCAR regulates what kind of gears you can use in an engine, and we don't see it. In, and since then... Now, I think they instituted that in about 2007, 2008, if I'm, my memory serves me correct. We haven't seen the, the amount of blown engines in this sport gone drastically, drastically down to where basically you're, you know, NASCAR has that intact so these teams don't blow their engines. And that's a rule I would like to see change, John. I've been saying that for years here. I would like to see that rule change just because I think it would, it would add an aspect of interest back into the sport where, you know, um, yeah, you're, they're, they're trying to, to have teams – basically not spend as much money on these engines, but some of these smaller teams that that, uh, that you put this rule in for are getting their own engine, are buying engines from the big teams anyway. So uh, really you have to kind of sit there and scratch your head and go, well, what, what, you know, what is that really accomplishing? They're not going to save anything because they're buying <coughs> engines anyway. So, um, but it is interesting, and, and I agree. I, you know, we're only six races in, so it can completely change, but it is kind of startling seeing the la- lack of caution flags. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I really do. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of green flag racing. I, I, it's every race from here on out, and I'm gonna be crazy by saying this, and I probably am. Every race from here on out, you know, to Homestead was green flag the entire way. I'd be comfortable with that. You know, I like the fact that you have to be perfect to win a race. But uh, here in 2016, I think people like to see caution flags. So I oh, see that's you know, one of the things, more... Clayton. You are you are the old school diehard NASCAR fan. I like the green flag racing as well. I look at it, if you line up the cars, you go 500 miles, the car that's the best car should win. But the pink hats who are coming out, and they're the casual NASCAR fan, and they want to see the wrecks, they want to see the restarts, they want to see the passing, and most of this passing happens on restarts. It's almost like we have to create the drama instead of letting the best car show what they can do in 500 miles and win the race instead of how good are you on a 10-lap run at the end? How good are you at passing under caution? How good is your pit crew to get you off the field at the end? Do you take two tires, four tires, no tires on that last stop? It's not the car and not the crew and not the driver who wins. It's the smart guy who outsmarted everybody at the end of the race. Yeah, and that's and that's and I agree with you. I think it's it's just a product of, Really, two eras clashing where we're old school fans and they got the new school fans who are different. Um, a couple of things I want to touch on, and, and we're going to lose our live audience here in about a minute and 18 seconds. Uh, you can listen to the rest of the show on our Facebook page and our Twitter page if you want to go there. But a couple of interesting news, John. I don't know if you saw this today in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Greg Galding, who's uh, running the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, is running the Canon East, he's running the Canon West Series, has signed a development contract with Roush Fenway Racing and we'll run at least two races. He was on with Claire B. Lang this evening, and it said it sounds like it's going to be more later on in the year as well. For Roush Fenway, starting with um, uh, Bristol in August, he will also run Richmond in September, and it sounds like after that it's going to be more than that. And also uh, a new team was formed, which is owned by former driver, co-owned by former driver Eric McClure. It's going to be Caleb Holman and Chad Fitchman, Fitchum uh, debuting at Richmond. So, 
Uh, and interesting seeing these this news in the Xfinity series. You know, John, you have to wonder with the new um, the new franchising deal, a new uh, chartering system in the NASCAR Spring Cup Series, if some of these guys who have some money and want to start up a race team just go to the Xfinity Series and start up a race team in Xfinity because it's so hard to make headway in Cup if you don't have a charter. And you can do it for 25% of the price that it costs to run a Cup team. Um one of the things that I see with the Greg Alding thing that also helps him is he's got sponsorship. He's bringing Krispy Kreme with him. So it's one of those ones that, yeah, the kid's doing pretty good as he's coming up the field, but he's also bringing money to the bank. It's not like it's a difference between what he's doing and what Bubba Wallace did. Jack Roush put Bubba Wallace in the car because he thought Bubba Wallace was a driver, and a lot of times Bubba's running with a Roush performance on the hood of the car, so it's an unsponsored car, but Jack says, I'll, I'll, I'll put myself on there instead of just running a plain white car. I think Golding's bringing money to the series, and that's where it's getting to be anymore. These young drivers coming up, they've almost got to get a marketing degree before they get into, this, get into the series because if they can bring money, they're going to get rides. Brandon McReynolds is a good little driver. He's not bringing money with him. Corey LaJoy is a good little driver, not bringing money with him. They're trying to do it the old-fashioned way where you learn to drive and you should be climbing the ladder and the team should be bring, looking for sponsorship. But the team's going, hey, if you've got money, we've got a ride for you and trying to make it easier for themselves. It just doesn't – I mean, the ultimate one in that was Danica. She came with GoDaddy and it was a bidding war to see who could get her. Yeah, and that's part of the reason. Uh, you, can, you can keep going. Sorry. Oh, you go. I no, was, I was uh, pretty much reason, done with that. I was part of the reason why I think when you look at um, the Xfinity series and, and this Eric McClure deal with who's teaming up with the team from uh, Hal Martin, we've seen him run in the Xfinity series every now and then. It's going to be called Martin McClure Racing, and they're going to run out of the Henderson Motorsports shop. And that's part of the reason why I like this deal is I've never heard of Chad Fitchin before. Um, and I think he's a local short track racer. I've done some research. He's going to drive the number 39 car for him, as well as Caleb Holman, who Holman I, I've always liked. He runs really, really good in the short tracks in the truck series for Henderson Motorsports, number 75. He's going to be the number 75 car as, as well at Bristol um, April 16th. So we'll see how, you know, how, what this team has in it. I'm not sure it's going to have a lot in it, but I think Caleb Holman's one of those guys who um, can, can win if he gets in the right stuff. Uh, but it's a matter of being in the right stuff. So I like seeing Caleb Holman getting an opportunity here in the Xfinity Series, and hopefully it turns out pretty well for them. But I like that's what I like to see is McClure has sponsorship from Reynolds Rap, but he's, no, he's kind of retiring as a driver. I think he got hurt in, at Talladega a couple of years ago, and I haven't talked to him uh, directly, so I'm speculating here, but I believe that's been part of the reason why he's wanted to get out here uh, and sort of be an owner. And I, I like seeing him invest the money into the sport, invest a sponsorship in the sport and give kids like Caleb Holman and Chad Fitchum an opportunity. I think it's great to see. I think it's really good. Uh, I'm glad that Eric's getting out where he was. I mean, one of the things, he did get that bad concussion where he was out almost eight weeks whenever he wrecked at Talladega and hasn't been the same since. And he's he, he picks and chooses when he runs, too. And right. there's another guy who, decent racer, nothing spectacular, but he always had Hefty on there. He had the sponsor. He brought money to the table. He would go from ride to ride to ride. I mean, he's a mid-pack ride, but he had money with him, so he always had a ride whenever he was driving in Xfinity. Hopefully he's able to keep that money with him and help develop somebody else instead of waiting for somebody to bring money to the table, whether they're talented or not. That's one of the things where, again, we're going to hit that spot where the bench isn't there and NASCAR in five to ten years is going, okay, who's our guys? Who's filling this field? Because we're losing five to ten guys in the next five to ten years. Who's going to take that spot? And you're running out of people down in Xfinity because everybody's up. The only ones left are Eric Jones, Bubba Wallace, Suarez, and there's no room at the Joe Gibbs in, so they can't. I mean, they're going to have to make Furniture Row go to two or three teams to get Jones and Suarez up to the cup level. Mm-hmm. But there isn't and that much charter. down there. 
right? And there's no charters. And that's another thing where if you think about this charter system, you know, it used to be just say, oh, well, you know, Furniture Row will expand. If they get sponsorship, to just put another team in there. But it's not that easy because they want the charter. So that's another interesting tidbit as well where you're going to have to find a charter somewhere. One of these teams, you're going to have to buy them and uh, get a lot of money for them, and it, they might have to swap charters as well. So that's another interesting team. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be wild. It's going to be uh, – and, again, I think you need to bring the cost down in this series. We've been talking about it forever in the Sprint Cup Series and the Xfinity Series to make money not nearly as big as a empire, but – it's not happening right now. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but it will be interesting to see five, ten years down the road where these drivers come from. John, great job tonight. We thank Ryan for calling in. He's, he, he helps us every week. Uh, and we thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles. We'll be back here next week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>